has. Hello and welcome into another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network post UFC 266 edition. I'm the biggest Nick Diaz fan on the planet, so unfortunately we have a lot to talk about tonight. Before we get into it, I want to remind everyone that Five Rounds is served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Hopefully you guys went out to one of the many Quarterdeck locations around South Florida to watch UFC 266 there. It was a really fun fight card, so you probably made some new friends, had a good time, and of course you didn't pay a cover charge. You do not pay a cover at any Quarterdeck restaurant to watch a UFC pay-per-view fight. You take advantage of those drink specials. My friends, two-for-one happy hour, it never ends. That is all day, every day. All throughout football season, of course, college football Saturdays, NFL Sundays, a great place to spend it is at the quarterdeck. You get the five for $15 ice cold buckets of imported Heineken beer, Heineken family of beers, high noon hard seltzer, and you can mix and match those to your heart's content. They go down so cold, man, when you're watching those games and knocking it down with that delicious food. The seafood is always fresh. I love to build my own poke bowl. The sushi is amazing. I went down to the quarter deck yesterday, saw my guy Frankie Z down there, and I had the all-American burger. Freaking perfect, man. They cooked it right to my specifications. I get my burgers cooked medium. I get my steak either medium, rare, or rare. I get my burgers cooked medium perfectly done you get that special sauce on top i don't even want to ask for the secret ingredients because i'd be afraid i would spill it like i'd be afraid that i would reveal the secret i don't want it to get out because it's so good the melted cheese the bacon on top oh tater tots on the side it is so good if you want to find the location nearest to you or peep their menu before you go visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com the quarterdeck come for the food stay for the fun we already got our guy, Trevor Gaffney. I love the quarterdeck. Quarterdeck love loves you. <laughs> <laughs> I am Alex Dono alongside, as always, my two co-hosts. We're going to have a third joining us a little bit later, around 6.30. Jonathan Ramlakan, lead MMA reporter on the Five Reasons Sports Network, is going to join us about a half hour from now. Uh, till then, you'll have to deal with the three of us chuckleheads. Uh, I'm alongside here, Frank Zaffrey, the real Frank Z. Frankie, I hope you enjoyed UFC 266. We haven't talked about it a whole lot. We did chat about it a little bit yesterday. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I just want to say for our audience how impressed I am that you are here talking MMA mere minutes away from your Canes taking the field against Virginia. So <laughs> huge it's kudos game. to you. It's a huge Listen, game for you tonight, buddy. It, it is, but you yeah. know, I, I don't get a Nick Diaz return from a – Five and a half year absence very often that I got to talk about it. We got to break down a lot of stuff that happened. James Walker is with us as well. Good evening, James. How are you? Doing great. Uh, good week in the fight. So a lot, lot to talk about. Yeah, a lot to talk about indeed. Uh, we had an epic main event. Like, and listen, co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko did what we all thought she would do. Main event between Volkanovsky and Ortega. Freaking epic. Expected winner. Yes, we expected Volkanovsky to retain. But, dude, Brian Ortega, in that third round especially, that was one of the best championship rounds, championship fight rounds in UFC history. Because as good as Volkanovski had done landing those incredibly sneaky punches throughout the first couple rounds, he was looking great. Ortega nearly gets him in a guillotine. And, like, dude, I thought for sure Volkanovski was going to tap out like he looked like he was tempted to tap out Ortega actually had him mounted reverse guillotine it was so tight bros I mean 95 percent of fighters in the UFC would tap out that that, that guillotine was absolutely perfect Volkanovski got out of that then uh, Ortega was threatening for a darce couldn't quite sink that in but he had a triangle mm -hmm. and that's his signature move 
Triangle City, T-City, had a really tight triangle. And again, same thing as the guillotine. I thought for sure Volkanovski was done. I'm thinking, man, he looked so good the first two and a half rounds. He was done. He's able to get out of that triangle. He was dead to rights. And then Volkanovski nearly separates Ortega's head from the rest of his body with that ground and pound at the end of the third round. And then the the third round uh, horn goes off. And the commentators like DC and Paul Felder, they thought Ortega was done because he had just been ground and pounded to oblivion, was saved by the bell because the horn went off. Uh, but they still thought he can't come back from that. He did come back from that. And they had two more epic rounds in the fifth round. Ortega landed some hands on Volkanovsky and was nearly able to steal a late TKO. It was an unfreaking believable fight. And I guess we'll get to this a little bit before we get into Nick Diaz and his performance. But let me go to you first with this one, James. That um, you know, I, I think I, I think all three of us last week picked Volkanovsky to retain. But I'm still damn impressed, and he controlled most of the fight, deserved to win the decision, no question. But I was still really, really impressed with how dangerous Ortega looked. Yeah, it was a great fight. I don't know if it was fight of the year, but round three was definitely round of the year. I don't think there's a round, a single round that's been close, Not even, maybe even for the last couple of years or few years, um, as far as the, the amount of back-and-forth action, as, as you mentioned. I, I, don't, I didn't even see the judges' scorecards. How do you score that, um, that round three when Ortega has – two near finishes yeah. uh yet Volkanovski nearly finished the ground and pound I, I don't know if you you know how do you score that uh round it, it's it's amazing but um tremendous fight as you mentioned all three of us picked Volkanovski you know he he deserves it and I think it's pretty clear in that division that that Ortega Volkanovski and Holloway are pretty clear at the top um you know of the featherweight division there's a there's a pretty good drop off after that between those three so I I don't think it's the last time you'll see those two fight. I think you're going to kind of see a triangle, Ortega, Holloway, Volkanovski triangle really go on for the next, you know, year, year and a half, um, you know, based on how things go. But tremendous fight, round of the year for sure, candidate for fight of the year, uh, definitely worth the money. I think, Frank, you even predicted last week, you said, hey, I hope MMA fans really enjoy, you know, the fighting at the highest level in the main event. Pay to see Nick Diaz, but also for hardcore MMA fans, enjoy the main event. Yeah, I you know, and I didn't give uh, Ortega a lot of credit on the last show for the evolution of his game. Like, you know, I told I said that I didn't think he was in the same level as Holloway and uh, Volkanovski, but he is. He yeah. clearly is, and I think a fight between he and Max Holloway would be a lot more competitive than it was the first time around. Uh, the improvement is spectacular, and your comment about the third round and the back and forth nature that made it so epic. You really have to go all the way back to like Dan Henderson, Shogun Hua. And that mm-hmm. happened over the course of a fight. Mm-hmm. And this happened yeah. over the course Great. of a round. That was an epic so, yeah. So, and that, and that fight will always stand out to me for those reasons. And then we got it in one round, which is just unbelievable to watch. But I think I, I would to echo Alex's uh, comment. Like, yeah, it went the way I expected it to go. But, man, was it a hell of a lot more entertaining than I expected. And Ortega's for real, but just unfortunately in the same division as Max Holloway and and uh, and Volkanovski. So, you know, I think they'll definitely fight again. I agree. Yeah, and, and Volkanovski, uh, he's, he's so scary because he doesn't run out of gas. Like, he never runs out of gas. And, and that only makes him get stronger as the fight goes on because most opponents will start to run out of gas when you just don't. Um, you know, we talked about this last week. He's got deceptively long reach for his height. Like he's only five foot six, which even for that division is short. Uh, but he's got 71 inch reach, which is like not proportional 
to his body. Uh, like, you know, you, you saw Ortega much taller than him. Volkanovsky actually had a two-inch reach advantage, uh, which is just unexpected, and he used it. And, and the way he's always keeping you guessing as to where the punches are going to come from, it's very hard to slip them and escape them. Yeah, I know Volkanovsky, maybe he's got some regrets for, you know, yet another big fight where he doesn't get a finish. But I, I don't know. I don't know how regretful you can be after that because with with how great that fight was, like finishes don't always make a fight better. Like I think that there's this misconception among casual fans that, oh, bro, if you're not seeing the knockouts, oh, that's a disappointment. That's what we want to see. We want to see people's lights get put out. Uh, sometimes the best fights are the ones that go five rounds. Like, you know, some of the wars that Gray Maynard and Frankie Edgar had back in the day. Like, you're talking five-round fights. It actually would have been a disappointment if somebody had gotten finished in some of those early rounds. Say, same thing you were talking about, Shogun versus Dan Henderson. If you had had, like, a first-round knockout in that fight, you wouldn't have gotten, like, the epic nature of that one going the full 15 minutes. So finishes don't always make fights better. Um, I want to uh, to get to the – not the co-main event, the co-co-main event. I was so excited for this one, and – I enjoyed. I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy. Um, I, I was literally getting goosebumps when when the arena blacked out, right, when the lights went out, and I knew Nick Diaz was about to make the walk for the first time since 2015, and the walk was epic as I expected. Actually seeing Bruce Buffer call his name, it gave me all the feels and all the chills. I am the biggest Nick Diaz fan and supporter on the planet. I have been writing for this guy for at least 15 years. I've been all about Nick Diaz. And I think for that reason, and Frank, you know this about me, we've been talking fights for many, many years. I probably hold Nick to a, an even higher standard than most, right? Because after what happened in that fight, uh, Joe Rogan stuck up for Diaz. Uh, he thought he actually looked much better than expected for a guy who was out six years. Uh, Dana White said something similar, right? Dana White also came out and said, like, he was basically expecting, uh, he was expecting Robbie Lawler to steamroll Diaz, and he thought Diaz did a lot better than expected. Um, what really disappointed me about this fight is that from, from the opening horn and when Diaz tried that, like, ridiculous kick, which would have been fun if it wasn't in slow motion, and then I saw him put his hands up and, like, start to throw these punches, and I'm like, bro, oh, you're, you're actually you're seeing what six years of inactivity in, in fights is going to do to you. And I know he's kept training. I know he's kept himself in reasonably good shape, but more on that in a moment. So, you know, a, a guy like Diaz who runs triathlons is probably better equipped to deal with a six-year layoff than most fighters. But I, I still – I saw more octagon rust than I expected because – and, like, he's never been a lightning-fast puncher, right? He punches – he favors accuracy more than speed even when he was in his prime. But the punches were, were coming from slow motion. He did have some moments, and he did land some punches on Robbie. Lawler was walking him down for most of the fight, and Diaz actually – did a nice job, you know, connecting with his chin, landing some combinations. Uh, and then also, like, I, I'll be real with you here. I was disappointed with the way the fight ended. Um, ironic, and I'm sure Lawler loved this, he basically knocked down and ultimately finished the fight with the same punch that Nick Diaz knocked him out with 17 years ago. That short right hook. It was yeah. eerily similar to the one that Diaz put his lights out with. So that was that was a bit poetic for Robbie to stop the fight that way. Uh, he also, he landed a, an uppercut as Diaz was going down to his knees. Uh, but Lawler backed away. He was going to let Diaz get up. And, you know, the Diaz of, of six years ago, I think it goes without saying, 
would have gotten up and continued the fight because the guy could historically take a ton of punishment. The referee looks over to Diaz and Diaz tells him, no, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't go anymore. He quit. He quit. And, and he may have saved himself here. You know, I, I, t- I, I titled the episode this for a reason. Nick Diaz should never fight again because that version of Nick Diaz that quit after getting knocked down by a punch by a 39-year-old man uh, and, and threw as slowly as he did throughout that fight, did he give me some of his signature stuff, you know, from, from 6, 8, 12 years ago? Yeah, but, but that's when you're going up against another guy who's washed up. You know, Robbie Lawler was, was a bit complicit with that because at 39 years old, far removed from his prime, he's not what he used to be as well. So it's like, what do we do with Nick Diaz now? Do we keep exploiting him and throwing him out there so he can make some money? Uh, is he like a guy who can actually climb the ladder and work for a championship? Absolutely not. And it's like, listen, I'm okay with his younger brother, Nate, taking money fights because, like, you know, Nate, Nate is still in his prime. Like, Nate can still throw. Nate can still scrap. But I look at Diaz, and I'm saying, like, it's honestly, it's not fair to him he may like making those big paychecks. He may want to do this again. I don't want to see him do it again, right? Because Nate Diaz still looks somewhat similar to the Nate Diaz of four, five, six years ago. Nick Diaz is nowhere near the Nick of six years ago. I don't want to see him go out there and take punishment because guess what? If he fights somebody next time who's not 39 years old and washed up, something terrible might happen to him. I mean, James, I'll go to you first because I think Frank might actually talk me a little bit back into the Diaz <laughs> fandom. But, James, I'll go to you first. What, what, what were your big takeaways from that fight? Yeah, man, Here, here's the macro view. Here, here's, how I, here's how I see the situation. This is where nostalgia gets us in trouble as MMA fans. And so we see Nick Diaz coming back, and we just magically expect the six years that he take he took off to magically disappear. And the UFC will play mind tricks with us. They'll show us highlights from six years ago. They'll show us highlights from 10 years ago. They'll show us Nick Diaz highlights from 15 years ago to the point to where we're almost expecting that same retro Nick Diaz to to walk into the octagon when we kind of suspend disbelief uh, that he's taken off six years. We don't have this suspended disbelief in any other sport. If a person took off six years in the NFL and came back at 38, we wouldn't have any expectations of him. If a person took off in baseball for six years and came back at 38, we wouldn't have any ex- expectations of him. But for some reason, we kind of fall for this mind trick in MMA uh, to where we just expect a fighter to take that many years off and be the same fighter that they were a, a decade ago. So, you know, so that's, that's our fault. I think that's our fault as fans to even expect uh, a certain level, uh, you know, from Nick Diaz or anybody really that, that takes six years off and, and come back at, at 38. Should he fight again? Man, I... It doesn't look like he trained very much or trained very hard. Doesn't look like he had a good camp. Uh, he didn't cut any weight. Um, that 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 was we see now and the reason why. Um, you can see it right in his midsection. And yeah, exactly. Alex, Alex M pointed out he was in a shape I've never seen before, completely <laughs> out of shape. Uh, and as soon as I saw him take his shirt off, I said, "Okay, that's why they had to do it at 185." Yeah. So so part of that question for me is is, is will he have a successful camp? Will he come in shape? Will he cut weight? Will he do all the things necessary to be the best version that he can be at 38? If he does that, I think he could fight again, but more so on the senior circuit, fight a Cowboy Cerrone, fight a, you know, someone like that uh, sort of in his class at the moment. But um, but if he's not going to do those things and this is the version of Nick Diaz that we're going to see, there's really no reason for him to come back unless he desperately needs the paycheck. And I, I think he can make money doing other things that are much safer. That's my thought. <laughs> 
Well, uh, let me jump right in on your last thought. He can't, which is why he was there last <laughs> Saturday. And look, it's a tragedy because Nick Diaz is way better than that. And he is still at this age. I got a news flash for you guys. After seeing the entire scene from, you know, the comments leading into the fight, I hate fighting, blah, blah, blah. Why am I even doing this? Going back even further, taking a fight with Robbie Lawler. Clearly, he needs the money, right? Clearly, he's run out of money, and he needs money, and he's not even in a position now to dictate who he fights. I'm just going to take a fight mm. against somebody who'll stand and trade with me. And look, Dana White wants to put that kind of a match together anyway. But then there was this weird thing happens where Nick Diaz, triathlete, suddenly needs the fight to change to 185. And we're all kind of mystified at that, thinking, well, it's just a Diaz being difficult. But then I see his performance, and I realize the guy was hurt. The guy was 100% injured. And the tragedy of this is he got used. Dana White knew he was hurt, too. They put him in there because they needed him on this card. And it pisses me off, actually, because the guy's so damn tough that he wasn't going to back out. So he's pissed off. He couldn't cut weight. He looked like shit. And he got in there, and he got his ass kicked predictably. But he still outstruck Robbie Lawler. A yeah. fat, out-of-shape, injured Nick Diaz outstruck Robbie Lawler with more significant strikes. If that cat has a real camp and he's not injured, I don't know what was wrong with him. And, you know, looking back at the fight and re-watching it, I'm thinking maybe it was back-oriented because I couldn't see anything specific. Ooh, okay. But 100% the guy's hurt. And he's too tough to tell you about. He's not going to tell you about it now. And he wasn't going to tell you about it then. But he needed the money. And it's sad. And it, it really upsets me because his legacy's tarnished. All anybody's talking about is he looks like slow motion Nick who's running away and quit on strikes. The man was injured. There's no other explanation. He's the toughest son of a bitch alive. There's no way a Diaz brother's going out like that. You hit me in the nose. I don't want to fight anymore. Something was terribly wrong with him. And... I, so I'm actually upset for him. I'm not even really a big Diaz fan, but I'm upset <laughs> because he's catching shit he doesn't deserve. And I'm upset that his life has thrown him this pitch, yeah. right? To use another sports metaphor, that that this guy, he, he had a run. He really does hate fighting. Yeah, he ran out of money. He got involved with some guys. He tried to articulate the story, but you know, yeah, he, got, he, got burned, he got burned like on an investment or so or money he right. promised, right? So hey, he's got to pick up the phone. Hey, Dana, I'll do it. I need the money. Who are you going to give me? And then you know, he it, got it, hurt it does seem kind of suspicious. Like why now? Like when when you've been away right. since 2015? And why Robbie Lawler? A fight nobody yeah. wanted to see again. Uh, you know, let's I, be I honest. Nobody <laughs> except Alex. <laughs> nobody wanted to see that fight again. And I just thank God that he didn't fight as somebody like a Kamara Usman in his condition because mm. that could have been devastating. You know, Robbie has lost I, hold so on, much hold on. I've, got, I've got a different take on that. If he had fought Kamara Usman, would have been a lot more motivated to train properly, probably wouldn't have. No, he would have had to drop out of the fight. Well, exactly, see, exactly. No, but it's, Alex, it's, he needed yeah, the money. Yeah. He needed yeah, okay, the money. Okay, okay. He so, would have showed up. He would have taken yeah, the fight. Yeah. He would have gotten crucified out there. Kamara <laughs> Uzma would have eviscerated that fat version of himself. I mean, so I just thank God he fought a washed up Robbie Lawler. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, hey, look, you know. It was a, it was an entertaining fight, I guess. I mean, he did outstrike Robbie Lawler. Well, and in hindsight, but, in hindsight, that was probably the right fight to make because you know, remember James a few months back when we were talking about maybe Diaz versus uh, Chimaev. Chimaev. Like, I mean, if if he were if he were to fight, especially coming back from this amount of years away, 
if he does this again, I hope he's you know more prepared and in better shape for it. But yeah, coming off a six-year layoff, if he had fought somebody younger and more dangerous in 2021 than Robbie Lawler is, this could have been ugly. So actually, I mean, for anyone who was criticizing the matchmaking, if you're insisting on Nick Diaz fighting again, this was the right way to go. I don't know if you could have made a better match than this. He's not coming back. He got a check, and he's going to go out and try to make money another way. He never would have come back if he didn't get burned. I, I really believe he got burned, lost the money he had, or got into some kind of trouble. He's not, he doesn't want to be there. He was there for a paycheck, and then he had to follow through with it injured. And it sucks for guys like Alex who love Nick Diaz, and that's your, that's your, final, that's your final act. He's got a ring of, of weight around his belly. And, you know, and he taps out to a punch in the nose, which is no, no two things could be more antithetical to Nick Diaz. Yeah, I know. I know. That's true. That's and true. I, Impe I hope impeccable the, shape. And he never, he never stops. Would never quit. No, yeah, would, would never, never quit. quit. Yeah, I hope the real story comes out someday. If it's a year from now or something like that, I hope they at least. Tell I hope. The real story. I hope somebody is. Yeah, James. I hope somebody in his camp would just step up and say it for him. Yeah. Because he's too proud to say yeah. it. And well, I and also, if he tried to tell you, you probably wouldn't understand. Right. Because <laughs> right. he'll tell you the whole story. Like, right. like because Nick, he can't just get to the point. Like, he can't tell you, "Oh, I fought hurt." He's gonna say, "Well, yeah." A few months ago, I was, I was, I was working out. And, you know, I, was, I was in there sparring and just these killers. And he'd go like a 10-minute story to get to the point where he hurt his back. And he would like give up telling the story three minutes in. And you, just, you would never hear the punchline. So, no, we would never know. So, so let, let's get the consensus before we move on to the toss-up. Frank, I think you already tipped your hat to this. Do, do you ever want to see Nick Diaz fight again, yes or no? No, I don't because I don't think he wants to be in there and I don't want to see him forced to do it again. So yeah. I hope he finds something in coaching or some other avenue that he can support himself. He's got a lot to teach people, but he doesn't want to fight. So I don't want to see him do it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I think if he wants to come in shape, in his best shape, and maybe fight on the senior circuit against like a Cowboy Cerrone or something like that, then yeah, I think there'd be some interest in it. But otherwise, it's really. You know, no one's really clamoring to see that version of Nick Diaz. And Nick Diaz shouldn't be clamoring to just get in there unless, like Frank said, he absolutely has to. But that's more sad than anything. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't say Masvidal is washed, right? No. If you're talking about now, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say that either. I mean, listen, he he looked washed against Kamaru Usman, but who doesn't? Except Colby Covington. Colby Covington's the one guy who's given Usman a, a good fight in the last few years. So no, I'm not going to from start to finish. Way. Anyway, I thought uh, Burns gave him a good fight too initially. Yeah, but true, that's a good yeah. point. That's a good point. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say no as well. Uh, I'm going to focus on Nate. Like I'm still going to ride for the 209. I'm still going to support the Diaz brothers, but I'm going to focus on Nate Diaz in the near future. And Alex M pointed out Nate Diaz versus Vicente Luque in December. Oh, that's going to be incredible, <laughs> Alex. Be incredible. The problem the problem with Nate Diaz, who is still a viable threat to anyone he faces the problem with him is he's got to have it go to seven or eight round fights i mean it's just <laughs> five is not enough his methodology for fights is you punch him a lot yeah. for four and a half rounds and then he turns it on it's like Homer and, you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so all right let's get into guys you know it you love it Hold on, I just want to make sure I find the right banner. Here we go. A new edition of the toss-up. You got some questions for us, Frank? I do. I really worked hard on these, too, so brace yourself. What is the greatest title fight in UFC history? I mean, we just Ooh. we just saw a great one Saturday, so maybe you go there. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say from, from start to finish, no, although I thought like the third round 
in the one we just saw between Volkanovski and Ortega, like that may be up there in like one of the best individual rounds, like in UFC title fight history. I don't think it was the best title fight. Um, man, I, there's a few different ones I, I could consider and I don't want to, I'm not going to list cause I, I, I have this thing that I do sometimes where I'll give you my answer. Then I'll give you like five more and I don't want to <laughs> steal Frank and James's answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to do stick that all the time. Buddy. I do that all the yes, time. You do. Pick so, so one. <laughs> here's what I'm going to go with. Uh, it was the first title fight between the two, but a rematch between the two, Frankie Edgar, Gray Maynard two. Do you remember that fight? I and it do. actually, and the crazy thing about it was it ended in a draw yet. Yeah. Really? No one could be disappointed because it was such an incredible fight. Like you're like, you know what? A draw. It, it seems fair. We'll do it again. Like, we'll we'll <laughs> do it again. And then, uh, and they did do it again. And Edgar won again. But the second fight between them, especially, uh, I think it was in the first round, Gray Maynard, like he nearly killed Frankie Edgar. He knocked him down brutally twice. And you thought Edgar is done. Edgar is finished. It was easily a 10-8 round. Uh, you know, th that's why the fight ended up being a draw. And you're like, how is Edgar going to recover from this? And he actually finished the fight very strong, had his own moments, nearly nearly won the fight on a few occasions. It was it was fantastic. And, and now that I'm bringing this up, it's been several years since I watched that fight from start to finish. I got to go back into the archives and watch that one again because I, I can remember – I can remember the friend's house I was watching it at. I can remember jumping up and down and just being like, this is incredible. And I, I can even recall before they read the scorecards, I was telling my buddy Sal, I think this is going to be a draw. And I don't give a shit. That was fantastic. Like, I don't care. Like, if nobody gets their hand raised here, that's fine. Like, I, I was good with that. Uh, James, we'll go to you next. Best title fight in UFC history. Yeah, mine is pretty recent. Uh, I'm going to go Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington won. Um, I, I just thought... Two guys that just really kept the same high pace for the entire five rounds. And the thing that really separates this title fight for me among all the other great title fights is you actually had a finish. A lot of the title, great title fights in history, UFC history, are decisions that go five rounds. This one went five rounds, but you actually had a finish there um, at the end. A little, a little controversial, but it was a finish. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the rematch. Obviously, I think that's why a lot of people are looking forward to the rematch. I don't mm -hmm. think they'll be able to top um, you know, top the one that they had in the first fight. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say Usman Covington won. Well, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. Uh, I went back and forth on this, but I'm going to go Chael Son, Chael Son and Anderson Silva won oh, for the belt. One. I mean, yeah. for the reason for me that that sticks out, first of all, you had the finish because James said it's nice to have a finish and I agree, but you had the seemingly unstoppable, undefeatable Anderson Silva suddenly looking exceptionally mortal. And it went on round after round. And you were just leaning more and more up on your couch. And now you're standing thinking, am I about to see this unstoppable force lose? And then, of course, in the very end, he pulls out the choke and, and, and wins the fight. But for me, that was one of the great title fights I've ever seen. That was another one. I remember the restaurant where I was watching that one in 2009. And I like I jumped out of my stool. And and I was rooting for Chael to win the fight. By the I way, I was and too. It, yeah, I it was. was it was no disrespect to Anderson Silva. I just when you're champion and you're dominant for that long, and you can remember, guys, when that fight happened, Silva son and one, that was like the most boring stretch in Silva's career because he mm -hmm. he had just run out of challengers at middleweight. Uh, like he had fought Patrick Cote and was uninspired. He won a decision, but like he didn't do anything, and Cote was no danger to him. He fought Talis Leites, the same thing, because he had already, you know, the, the middleweight division was in a bit of a lull at that point. 
And Silva had already beaten anybody that was any good in that division. So they kept throwing him just these chumps to fight <laughs> just because he didn't have any challengers. And it's like, instead of saying, oh, they threw me a chump. Let me finish this guy quickly. We'll get out of here. He's like, no, I'm just going to dance around. You know, just I'll humiliate this guy a different way or I'll just dance around for five rounds. And then Chael Sonnen, he brought out the beast in Silva. Right. Because and and this was before Conor McGregor. This was before Conor McGregor started taking personal shots at people and taking trash talk to a next level. Chael did it before uh, before McGregor did. McGregor a little bit more mean spirited, I think, the way he does it versus the way Chael did it. But Chael was relentless. You know, he he taught, you know, he, he was saying bad things about Brazil before Colby Covington ever did. Yes. And, yes. and you know what? I don't know if you guys remember this. You probably will when I bring it up. Maybe the most the two most insulting things that Chael said to Anderson. And I think one of these maybe is more disrespectful to say to a Brazilian than it is to an American. Chael made a joke about how he was going to like slap Silva's wife and have her cook me a steak medium rare. Like if, if you say that, like in the in, he was said it in kind of a funny tone, like an American be like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, bro. You say that to a Brazilian, you translate it to him. He took that complete disrespect. And then the other one was, you know, Anderson Silva has his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, which he used to beat Chael, but his black belt was from the Noguera brothers. And Chael Sonnen referred to a black belt from the Nogueras as a Happy Meal toy. And, like, (laughs) you say that about a black belt black belt? Those are fighting words. Like, if you try – like, a a guy who worked for years to go up the ranks and earn his black belt – and then you tell him your black belt from the guys who gave it to you is a Happy Meal toy. That was incredibly insulting. So there, there was bad blood between these two guys. And, and actually, like, we can thank Chael Sonnen because Anderson Silva, after that fight, went through a stretch of really exciting fights. So Chael brought the beast back out in him. <laughs> what he else did. But, and, and, you know, think about it. Chael Sonnen jacked up on T and EPO, still couldn't take down the great Anderson Silva. That's yeah. how great he was. That's All right. right, who are you picking this weekend in the UFC? Johnny Walker? Or Tiago Santos. I believe Santos is like a minus 150 favorite. You're gonna have to remind me, Alex. I think Johnny Walker, what, plus two fifty? Uh I think I think plus uh like plus two fifteen, maybe. Two fifteen, sorry. So, okay, yes, plus two fifteen. Sa- Sa- Santos is a slight favorite. Um, I'm going with Tiago Santos. You know, anytime Johnny Walker fights, and he's he's on a tough stretch, he's lost two of his last three. Uh, Tiago Santos has lost three in a row, but he, you know, he lost fights to, to the best guys in the division. He does own a victory over Jan Blahovich, and he actually fought very well against John Jones, despite blowing out both of his knees in that fight. I'm, I'm going with Tiago Santos. A lot of it is based on his experience. This is the biggest fight of, uh, of Johnny Walker's career. And it's like barely top five for Tiago Santos. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's been in bigger fights than this one. He's seen everything. His power is really dangerous. Uh, you know, Walker, really creative. He might catch you with a crazy knee, a crazy elbow. I just think Tiago Santos is the better overall fighter. I think he's going to get it done. I think it's going to be exciting because Johnny Walker can bring a brawl out of him. I see Santos winning it by knockout. What about you, Frank? Oh, no, it's, uh, well, it's James I'm, first. Oh, sorry, James. Yeah, yeah I'll go first. I, I'm, I'm going actually going with the underdog in this one. I, you mentioned Santos on the three-fight losing streak. He has not looked the same since blowing out both of his knees. Uh, really, since that John Jones, he hasn't looked nearly as athletic, nearly as aggressive, nearly as, uh, you know, just in terms of letting his punches go. What really brought him to the dance to get him that John Jones fight was he was really aggressive in using his power. Um, and, and he just hasn't seen, um, you know, to, to really bring it. I, I'm, I think he's really struggling after two ACL surgeries. I mean, that's that's a tough thing to go through for any athlete. And I, I just he just doesn't look like the same fighter to me. Not to say that Johnny Walker is a world beater. 
uh, but he does have that potential to really get hot. And he, you know, he's a he's much more athletic, I would say overall. He's a better pure athlete um, than Tiago Santos, especially at this point. Uh, but yeah, not not the experienced fighter, not not as good of an all around fighter. But I just have a feeling that there'll be an upset in this one, especially uh, you know seeing Tiago Santos in his last two or three fights. Uh, you know, look, I'll go Santos, but I'm just gonna say what I always say when we talk about this division. Why are they all in Bellator? Why, 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 why is Yoel and Bader and the rest of them? Why are they all over there? I mean, I, I don't think this will rate very well, unfortunately. John Jones, in the absence of John Jones, it's a who, who cares division. Tyron we'll, talk, Woodley. we'll talk about John Jones later, but go, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Tyron Woodley actually followed through with a bet and got a Jake Paul tattoo. Should he get the rematch? Does yes. he want the rematch and should he get well, the rematch? Well, I think he wouldn't have gotten the tattoo if he didn't want the rematch. <laughs> That's the only reason why. And so, honestly, yes. I don't want to see it. I don't care to watch them fight again. I don't. But – if if you are going to go through with getting another man's name tattooed, I love Jake Paul tattooed on his fingers. And it's like listen, I know it's like it's not like on his forehead or something, but it's still it's visible where he got it. You're gonna get I love Jake Paul tattooed on yourself to get the rematch. Paul owes it to him. I mean, Jake Paul is a class A D-bag if he doesn't give Woodley the rematch after he went and got the tattoo for the rematch. So yeah. Paul owes them one. They need to run that one back. What do you think, James? Yeah, I agree. Um, they, they should have the rematch. And I, I didn't really care for the first meeting that much, and I don't care for the rematch. But there's a lot of people out there, a lot of casuals, apparently, who pay for the first one. And I, I think a, a decent amount of them will pay for the second one. Um, so, I mean, that's a whole nother topic, to, you know, the sport of celebrity boxing, all that kind of stuff. But give them the rematch. Why not? Um, you know, especially if they can make money, got the tattoo. I'm, I, I don't really care for it. I'm not tuning in anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. Look, it's so funny to me. Each guy, like Jake Paul, had no, like absolutely in a million years does not want to fight Tyron again. And, Ty and Tyron absolutely did not want to get a tattoo that said, I love Jake Paul. But one of them, right, had to give in. And Tyron, his desire was so strong that he got that tattoo. So that's it. Jake Paul's got to fight him. I mean, that's it. He was counting on Tyron not getting that tattoo. I haven't even read much of him trolling Tyron about not getting the tattoo. I think he was counting on that, and then he could just avoid any conversation about a rematch moving forward. So unfortunately or fortunately, depending on where you sit in terms of like celebrity nonsense boxing matches, that fight will happen again, I think. Um, what's your go-to meal and cocktails during Ooh. a UFC <laughs> fight card? I think I, I have two separate answers for this. I've got the home answer and i've got the quarter deck answer and and oh, by the cool. way I, I forgot to mention this off the top we're, we're served by the quarter deck before this episode is over we build we will be giving away the gift cards are back my friends i have it here <laughs> a 20 dollar gift card i'll show you the magnetic strip so you know it's real <laughs> a 20 dollar gift card to the quarter deck seafood bar and neighbor girl and that reminds me alex m i see your ass in here in the chat i need you to send me an Instagram DM with your address because I, I desperately want to mail this to you. I'm even going to put – hold on. I'm going to put my my Instagram at in the chat so he's got no excuse. Uh, unless, like, un unless he did DM me and I just missed it. I hope not. Because the thing is, like, I, I get some, like, real people who will DM me on Instagram. And then I also get, like, the porn spammers. And I don't know. Maybe sometimes I, like, I see my inbox full. I'm like, oh, it's the spammers again. Let me go look at all these pictures. No, no. I just I, – I ignore them. But uh, – <laughs> 
but it's uh, <laughs> it can be hard. So I put my uh, my Instagram handle is there in the chat. You guys, I, I I put it through the Five Reasons Network, Alex Dono IMCF. If you want to, uh, please send me a message to get your address. So. Um, kind of my go-to tradition at the quarter deck, and you can watch every UFC pay-per-view fight there for zero cover charge. I love the buffalo shrimp. Sometimes I'll go through two orders. I, w- I will share. Like, if you see me there eating buffalo shrimp, I will share with you I'm not that greedy. Sometimes I'll get on the second order. And I like the two-for-one margaritas because I'm, I'm a huge margarita fan. Can, can, Frank, you're a, uh, you're a restaurateur uh, and a, uh, you know, someone who has bars. Is margarita is that a like a like a women's drink or is that neutral? Like, am I because I dude, I will knock down margaritas anytime, anywhere. Is that that's it, like a neutral drink, right? It's a neutral depending on the environment and time mm. of day. Mm. You know, ten o'clock at night in a bar with your boys watching a fight. Now, nah, margarita probably not the right choice. <laughs> no, bro, I still like it. I mean, what, so, we'll so I, I can drink it outside in the afternoon, but I can't drink it yeah. indoors at ten o'clock. Yeah. Oh man, if, if I can drink it out, I can drink it anytime. Look, out on the beach, listen to some Jimmy Buffett, I understand. But, you know, watching men punch each other in a cage, I think you got to go with something a little more manly than that. A glass of whiskey or something. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And so the, the other one is, like, if, if I'm at home watching a fight card, I will uh, – I'll, I'll usually – maybe I'll, I'll do some uh, I'll do some chicken wings. I'll grill some chicken wings at home. And I like there, – there's this, uh, this brewery, like, right nearby, pretty close – it's right nearby my parents' house, pretty close to my house as well. We live close together that they have this uh, this Belgian style beer and it's like it's 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 pretty it's pretty well balanced and it's got nine percent ABV. So it's Oof. like it's really strong. So you have like a few you knocked out a few of those and, you know, they, they have like dine in there. But I'll, I'll go and get the beer to go because they put it in those like those uh, the crowlers, those cans. So I'll get a couple of those. The big ones, and uh, you, you have like three of those at nine percent ABV. You are feeling nice after that. So those are my go-to's. What about you, James? Man, you guys are maniacs, man. I maybe it's my lifestyle. I I, uh, I have two toddlers at home, so uh, I, I watch most of the time at home. I'm not eating at 10, 11 midnight. I don't know about you guys, but I don't I don't eat that late. So when I'm at home, I'm usually not eating when I'm watching my UFC fight cards. But I do sometimes eat during the prelims. I will okay, say yeah, that. prelims, yeah. seven o'clock, stuff like that, yeah. eight o'clock. That's that's all good. But as far as the quarter deck is concerned, since you're on the topic of the quarter deck, when I do go to the quarter deck to watch fights, my favorite item on that menu is the buffalo chicken sandwich with that's the good. sweet with the sweet potato fries. That that was my order. I usually get that most of the time when I'm there. So that's when I am out that late, but usually I'm at home. Uh, I'm not eating at 10, 11 at night. Sorry, man. I agree with you, Jay. I don't eat that late either. But, uh, you know, my drinking choice depends on how emotionally invested I am in the sporting contest. So, you know, and that goes for my Notre Dame football issues as well. So, you know, like if it's a card where I'm interested but not really emotionally involved, it's it's Bacardi and Diet Coke for me. If okay. I start to get if I start to get really invested, it's just glasses of straight tequila. Um, and uh, that's what I was drinking uh, after Nick Diaz lost. I'm like, all right, give, yeah. me, give me some tequila. Yeah. All right, that was it. That's all the questions I got, Donna. Oh, or man, do I have and, another one? Okay. No, I don't think no. so. I, I think okay, we're good. Right. Okay, so I, I want to get and why don't we use this? The the password is tequila because that that'll go with. Frank's uh, shot of choice, and you also you put tequila and margaritas. So the first person to type this word into the live chat, tequila, can win this $20 beautiful gift card to the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighbor Grill. And you, you can drink those two-for-one margaritas and tell me, hey, you can drink those, whether it's 
10 p.m., 4 p.m., midnight, because sometimes I will keep ordering those at midnight. <laughs> it is the freaking way to go, man. So, yeah, the, the, the key word, the code word is tequila. Type that in the chat, and you can win this $20 gift card to the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh, Trevor Gaffney. He got it in there. And, and by there the way, this is poetry, because Trevor was the very first comment on our broadcast tonight, and he said... I love quarterdeck. So how about that? So again, I'm going to reiterate here. Uh, Trevor, are you on social media? Because that's probably the easiest way to track me down. If I need to, I'll give you my email address. I don't really want to shout out the email address because then, you know, anybody can email me. I don't mind if you guys DM me on social media. I keep the DMs open. It's at Alex Dono on Twitter and at Alex Dono IMCF Instagram. So please, Trevor, reach out to me. And, uh, and give me your address there, and I will have this gift card mailed to you at some point within the next week or so. I will probably procrastinate, and the next Thursday, the day of the show, next, oh, I got to email the gift card to Trevor, and we'll do it. But I will get it to you, sir. I appreciate that. Oh, and, and he is uh, he is a big fan of Lee Sterling. We'll have to have Lee on like before the next uh, big pay per view to give us some fight picks because he does a really good job. Uh, guys, I want to I want to get into um I want to get into John Jones the police report um so we mm. when we we were on friday last week instead of thursday and our show started within i think an hour hour and a half of when the jones report started to break that he had been arrested last week in las vegas he he was in town um I, presumably he was there to watch the fights but mainly he was there to be inducted into the ufc hall of fame he and alexander gustafson got inducted together because their fight got inducted, which is another one of the greatest title fights in UFC history. Uh, so they, they were getting uh, inducted and shrined for that fight into the fight wing. And then afterwards, trouble seems to find John Jones, okay? More detail, this is from a Yahoo Sports report, which is a very trusted news source. More details have emerged in the arrest of John Jones, and they paint a disturbing picture. Yeah, you could say that again. Jones was arrested in Vegas on Friday. It was charged with battery domestic violence and injuring and tampering with a vehicle. The Las Vegas Police Department released the police report from Jones' arrest on Tuesday. Jones is accused of grabbing a woman's hair, headbutting a cop car, and telling police he wanted to take them all on. Jones, who was in Las Vegas attempting the UFC Hall of Fame event, let me skip through that because I, I mentioned that already, uh, he went out with friends around 11.30 p.m. The woman stayed behind in the room and went to sleep. Jones allegedly returned to the room later and grew angry with the woman. She told officers Jones grabbed her hair and the back of her head because she was trying to leave the room. Police were called after the woman went down to the security desk to ask for a key to her room. A guard noticed blood on the woman. She reportedly began to tear up and said she was afraid to go back to the room. One of the woman's children reportedly asked the guard to call police, which is, oh God, I, I can't even imagine putting a child in that situation. Officers observed blood around the woman's lip, chin, and shirt. The woman said she was unaware what happened, but said things became a little bit, yeah, physical. Officer said the woman seemed scared to even talk about Jones. The report said the woman seemed very scared regarding when John Jones would be released from jail. The woman reportedly did not want to be recorded or fill out a statement regarding the incident. She did not file a restraining order against John Jones. Police arrested Jones on domestic violence. Police encountered Jones outside the hotel. He identified himself and then resisted arrest. While being detained, 
Jones reportedly headbutted a police car. So that explains the tampering with the motor vehicle thing. We, we had assumed something completely different. He headbutted the police car, leaving a dent and chipping paint. Police said Jones's mood alternated drastically during the arrest. He broke down in tears and alternated between being calm and angry while speaking with officers. When informed of the charges, Jones reportedly joked about the arrest and told police he would like to take us all on and see what we could do. He also said he could escape from the handcuffs. Jones reportedly apologized after officers threatened to tase him. Jones denied touching the woman and said he had a hard time remembering certain parts of the evening, according to ESPN. Jones also threatened to sue the police department for arresting him, quote, on the biggest night of his life, per the report. Jones was released on bond after a 12-hour hold. He is due back in court October 26th. This was far worse than I imagined it would be, like when, when you read this police report. Like, it, it is far worse than I thought it would be. And I, I would love to get into the mind of John Jones and just figure out, like, what, what wire is loose in there. Like, you, you, have, you have everything. Like, it, it seemed like he had a really good family upbringing like he's got he's got loved ones around him to this day he's got plenty of money um so i i don't know what's going on there what what was your reaction to all this today james man uh yeah definitely worse than you know worse than expected um i mean we we kind of went at nauseam on john jones last week in terms of you know whether you should be in the ufc and all, all this kind of stuff I just don't see any reason for the UFC to keep him, man. I I, I just don't. And I, I know you can, you know, you can play the whole Darth Vader angle and with him coming back and everything, but is it is it worth it? I just don't know if it's worth it. I mean, does the UFC have a, have a code of conduct? Um, and if they do, are they even enforcing it? I mean, you have in the NFL when a player does something, you know, this uh, against the law or something like that. Right away, the conversation is, oh, he's going to get suspended four games, he's going to get, get suspended eight games. Maybe he'll get suspended the whole season. Maybe the team will cut him. All those kind of things. John Jones has been able to run amok pretty much for a decade, um, you know, really with, with not many consequences, if any consequences. And I think that's part of the problem. I think that, you know, yes, 90% of it, probably 80, 90% of it is on John Jones, but the UFC's also enabled him. You know, every time he's able to come back, they let him back in and he's able to be the same John Jones he's, he was before. So why would he unless he's self-motivated, which he's clearly not self-motivated to change? But why would he change? He's gotten away every single time to come back and be the same John Jones that he was before and probably make more money uh, with each fight. So for a person that doesn't seem to be able to grow up and mature and do the right thing. He needs to be motivated from outside forces to do the right thing. And the UFC has that ability to do it, but they haven't really put their foot on the pedal to, to force him into punishment. So um, so I just want to make that point that the UFC, at least a little bit, uh, is culpable in terms of them not punishing him the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time um, to really force him to change because clearly he's not going to change on his own. Well, you know, James, you bring up the code of conduct. And the UFC, of course, has every, any contract of any worth has lines in there that give whoever is giving you the contract discretion to do things if your behavior is bad. But unlike the NFL, where they're the only place that you can play professional football and make money, um, and if they suspend you four games or eight games or cut you, you're not going to run to a competing league and give the NFL a hard time. You know, the UFC is in a tough spot. They could just say, John Jones, we're not going to let you fight for a while. That's akin to a drug suspension. He is going to fight again then. So if it's, you know, if it's three months or six months, whatever, it just gives him more time to gain weight. But if they took some big stand 
and said, you're out because of this police report. You know, I could point to a whole host of other crap that's going on in the in the league and the, the disparity in that justice wielding would be unsettling. And he would just go to Bellator and it would be a, yeah. a financial hit for the UFC of a magnitude we've never seen because he is, despite his horrible behavior outside the cage, the greatest mixed martial artist that has ever lived and has ever competed in the UFC. So I think I'd give them a little cut them a little slack in terms of what they can and can't do. At this point, all the UFC can do is play the card of what is the legal ramification that he is facing civilly or criminally. If it does in term, if it does indeed become a misdemeanor, um, and he pays whatever penalties to society he owes, then he's entitled to return to work just like a plumber is, just like an electrician is, just like an auto mechanic is, just like somebody works for one of my restaurants is. I mean, if you do something like that and you pay your fine, you pay your debt, you can come back. And it's not a felony as it turns out, which is amazing after we read well, the story. And, well, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, the, the woman is not really interested yeah. in, in pressing – charges and she doesn't really want to cooperate because you know it's it's, it's unfortunate because well, like, right you know, she probably loves well, him yeah well yeah but, but you know and I, I want to say something about that too because it sounds like i'm defending bad behavior and i'm not i'm just trying yeah. to kind of explain how this is going to play out and, you. you know the other part james you referenced the nfl the nfl who was that guy from the ravens that hit the girl in the elevator Ray rice Ray, Ray Rice, Rice, thank you. Yeah. They weren't going to do anything until a video surfaced. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, it's one of those things where she says this, the circumstances seem bad, but I'll tell you what, if there was a video in that hotel room, I'll bet you the UFC would have to get rid of them no matter what the cost would be. And that's a shame in our society that it's like that. But unfortunately, it is. But anyway, I think it's going to play out where the UFC has to sit back, see what the judicial ramifications are to his crime. And uh, and then he comes back. And uh, I know I argued about this last week, but I think he's every bit the draw that uh, he was. But I think this time because people are angry and they want to see him lose, just yes. like Floyd Mayweather made a ton of money like that. I mean, I, I referenced him last time, but he's a great example of how Floyd much Mayweather, money he, he, he made. Did, he did hard time. And like he came yeah. back was not any less. Yeah, Mike, Tyson went, Mike oh, Tyson went to jail. Mike Tyson went to jail for rape. <laughs> Yeah, and he yeah. came right back to boxing because it's it's yeah. it's the kind of sport where they don't have a monopoly on your career. Another right. promoter will take you. Another promotion will take John Jones. If he wants to make millions of dollars fighting, he'll do it in the UFC or he'll do it somewhere else. The UFC it, doesn't and have control of that. And, and I don't know. And, and I'd love James's opinion on this because he you you covered team sports at the highest level. Is the standard for behavior just different for team sports? Because like if, if someone does, you know, the things over the years that Mayweather did, what Mike Tyson got locked up for, the things that John Jones has done, some of the things Conor McGregor has done, it's like you're representing, you know, an entire team and you're representing, you know, an entire organization. Now, some could say, well, the UFC, I don't know. I think a promoter is a little bit different than like representing the NFL shield. So is there a different standard for team sports versus individual sports? Because it's like when you're when you're a prize fighter, probably even when you're like a tennis player, like it's easy to say, well, listen, that whatever he's done, that's on him. Like that's not yeah. 
you know, you don't have a team to blame for it. And like, listen, we're, you know, we're allowing him to work, but he's an independent contractor. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like the standard, I don't know if it should be or shouldn't be, but I do feel like the standard is different. Yeah, it's definitely a different st- different standard. And the UFC and, and whatever MMA organization, they can kind of stiff arm and keep a distance and say, well, that's John Jones. That's not the UFC. Where in the NFL, when stuff like that happens with Ray Rice or things like that, they it seems to go with the shield a little bit and seems to tarnish the shield a little bit like oh players in the nfl do x y and z and in a team sport you're easily replaceable you can replace a running back you can replace a linebacker you can replace can you replace the greatest fighter perhaps of, of all time you know who's who's still um maybe towards the end of his prime but still pretty close to um his prime so there's, there's those things going on but man i i just i think frank Excellent points all around. It's just something about the cumulative effect. This isn't a one-off with John Jones. I I think you got to add on the first infraction, the second infraction, the third infraction, the fourth infraction. This is probably the fifth or sixth infraction, uh, you know, with John Jones. You can't just keep every time he messes up, just say, oh, it's a one-off. And since it's maybe, eh, maybe this one isn't as bad, maybe he'll just come back next year. Or maybe the third one isn't that bad. Maybe he'll just come back in six months. You just got to add it up and, and say, okay, this is the total package that comes with John Jones. Are all these infractions as a total package worth what you're getting in the octagon? I think it's a good argument because John Jones's talent is immense. You can make the case that it is. Uh, but I, I just think at this point, I mean, look, he doesn't have the title anymore. He could go to heavyweight and, and have one of the bigger fights. But, um, you know, in the M- in MMA uh, over the last several years. But I just I just it, he doesn't seem worth it to me anymore, especially now since he's already been out for almost two years and the UFC is thriving and is as strong as it's ever been without a John Jones fight over the last year and a half. So it just doesn't seem worth the headache at this point. You know, you, know, you, you talked about the shield in the NFL, and, you know, I, I like that point because I think what the shield is really about, not to be cynical, is advertisers. Yes. So it would be very interesting to see who picks up the phone and calls Dana White and says, you know what? If that guy is in your cage, we're not interested in being a part Maybe of this. Who, who's making that call? Because that's Man, what Manscaped, DraftKings, like well, you that's, know, the, the, that's the well, thing. Modelo. <laughs> yeah, Modelo. No, but Modelo's a real thing. I mean, that's a big yeah, company. That's true. I mean, you know, but I don't know who it would be. But you, that's that's right where I was going, Alex. You yeah. always read my mind, but that's right where I was going. The yeah. NFL has all the mainstream products, right? Or want to be part of the Shield, and I think that makes them so aggressive in policing that league the way they do. And they can get away with it, as I pointed out, because you're not going anywhere else to do that. But I think the UFC, I think that's ultimately what dictates uh, policy, because I think we all agree. I mean, we shouldn't be celebrating a guy who's doing that to a woman with her kids in the room. I mean, it's it's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah. And uh, by, by the way, uh, Jonathan Ramakan was in some traffic. He's going to join us uh, in about five minutes or so. He's just getting home now. So we're, we're going to welcome him when he's available. I want to read you uh, what Dana White said about John Jones's arrest because he was reached for comment earlier this week. And this was after the details of the police report came out. They emerged on Tuesday morning. Uh, Dana White was uh, approached uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, claiming that uh, he has Jones too much trauma to consume alcohol. His brain simply cannot handle it anymore. Jones vowed to quit drinking, a decision White thinks should have been made a long time ago. He says, 10 years ago, you're too late, White told MMA Junkie. Um, This is what John Jones does when he comes to Vegas, White said. Are are we blaming Vegas for this? Like, I don't know, man. (laughs) If, If he can't control himself in, like, 
New York City or even Albuquerque. I'm sure there's plenty of alcohol. I'm sure there's plenty of alcohol in Albuquerque. There's oh, the only thing you have in Albuquerque are cacti, armadillos, and and hard liquor. That's like all you got out there. And well, the whole the whole Breaking Bad thing. I hope he's staying away from that stuff. I can say that. Um, he said, um, uh, "This is what John Jones does when he comes to Vegas. John comes to Vegas, and this is a rough place for him, man." He was here less than 12 hours, and, you know, he was in jail. Every time we bring him here, we try to keep him here for as short a time as possible, get him in and get him out. This time he was with his family, so we figured we figured wrong, White says. Uh, he says, we'll see how this legally plays out, how this thing legally plays out, and then we'll go from there. So it's, it sounds like Dana is, uh, he's, you know, kind of approaching it the way that Frank expected he would. He's going to see how it legally plays out, and then he'll, he'll figure out where to go from here. Uh, but yeah, it sounds rough. And listen, if I if I am to speculate, and we know John has a history with some harder stuff than alcohol, I hope that it's you know not nothing more sinister is involved here. Um, and and my big question is, like, and and yeah, okay, John told Dana White that he's going to stop drinking, but it's easy to say that within a couple of days of you know getting arrested, like three weeks, a month, three years from now, is he still going to have the same philosophy? I just wonder if he's actually taking recovery from these incidents seriously. Because when this many strikes pile up, you've got to be thinking, does this guy really care if he gets better or not? Because uh, it, it, he's had so many incidents. It's forgive me if I'm like recalling the wrong one. But I think it was after the hit and run where like Jones went to rehab and like Dana White like announced he was going to rehab. And then it was real like he checked in and checked out the same day. So it's like, like, OK, what, what do you really do? Like, you just want people to know I went to rehab. Never mind the fact I didn't stay in rehab. Like, I checked out. They probably handed me some brochures to scare me about what I'm putting in my body. Then I got right the hell out of there. So it's like, if you're going to check in and check out of rehab the same day, like, what are you really doing to fix your problems? You just want people to know I'm working on this. Uh, I I don't really think he actually cares about working on it. You know, I I thought Daniel Cormier brought up a good point this week, Um, a a different point of view that I hadn't thought of. Um, Something, there were... There were opportunities for John Jones to change, and I, Dan, according to Daniel Cormier, the biggest opportunity he had was if John Jones had lost a fight. And he said John Jones never lost. And had he lost a fight at any point, early, middle, late, you know, at the height of his career, whatever, that might have given him an opportunity to sit back and reflect and say, you know what, I could have trained harder. I could have. You know, I could have uh, not drank as much, you know, leading up to the fight or the night before the fight or, or whatever. Um, I don't have to be a party boy. What if I really, you know, try to get this one back, whatever, lose this belt, try to get this belt back, really focus hard and be all the things that, you know, that I can be uh, without the alcohol, without the drugs, without the partying, with the laser focus. And because he never lost, he never had that moment at all in his career. And so... Um, Daniel believes that, you know, had he suffered that feeling that uh, most fighters do rarely, very rare do, you know, every fighter goes undefeated, you know, had he suffered that, that kind of loss, maybe he would have had that perspective much earlier in life where we've been early enough to kind of save him and let him have that. But since he just never had that, he just ran rush shot through his entire career. He just really doesn't feel a need, a need to change. You know, he can kind of keep the same habits and still go on to have one of the greatest MMA careers ever. I think, uh, I think the problem started, with his split with Rashad Evans. I think that he had a coach and a mentor and somebody that was looking after him and that he was looking up to. And I think he respected Rashad. And I think that that relationship was keeping a a borderline narcissistic, 
you know, megalomaniac kind of personality in check. He, he was like the little brother. Yeah, and I think I think it was unfortunate the way the UFC played the situation. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't blame them in hindsight for what they did. And I think it was unfortunate for the way Rashad handled the situation. Because when Jones was successful, Rashad really started to just turn his back on John. It was like, how dare you do that and the rest of it. And I feel like that break was a betrayal for John Jones of a very high magnitude. And I think from that point on, it was like, F you, F the world. I'm the best. That's it. I don't need you. And you know what? His talent was such that once he was unbridled from mentorship, he's just killing everybody and then doing whatever the hell he wants to do. And so I feel like losing that person in his life was the thing that really started this. I don't really think he had to lose. I think he just always needed to have that person in his gym um, that was kind of they, – they respected and that was keeping him in check. So that, that's what I always thought it was. That makes sense because that's when he started becoming the bad guy. Right, yeah. because before yeah. before the split with Rashad, squeaky clean, squeaky clean bones Jones, right? Just you know, a God fearing family man. No, no skeletons in the closet. No baggage whatsoever. Always said the right things. You know, never never sent out those ridiculous tweets and then deleted them three minutes later. And all you know, hadn't hadn't had any arrests or anything at that point. That was that was when the downward spiral seemed to flow. Um, a, a bit of news, uh, you know, turning the page on John Jones and talking about more. More uplifting stuff. This one, not not that it's ever good to see a guy injured, but Aljamain <laughs> Sterling. This is unfortunate. Is this more uplifting? Aljamain Sterling <laughs> uh, had to pull out injured uh, of of his rematch with Piotr Jan. But I'll tell you why this is uplifting. I'm actually really happy for the guy who's getting an opportunity now, even though I don't like interim belts. But actually, you know what? This is where it kind of makes sense to do an interim belt. You've got a champion who's injured, right? I mean, my my guy, Francis Ngannou, got completely screwed over when he wasn't hurt. He just wanted to, okay, can I wait one extra month to fight? No, 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 we're going to create an interim belt. Forget about it. You will create an interim title. So, like, when a champion gets injured, this is actually when you need an interim belt. So maybe this isn't so bad. But I'm really happy that Corey Sandhagen is getting this opportunity oh, to nice. fight Piotr Jan and fight for the interim belt because, guys, I thought maybe robbery is a strong word, but I thought Corey Sandhagen won his last fight against TJ Dillashaw. I thought he should have gotten his hand raised, and he didn't. Like, I, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Okay, Sanhagen won that fight. They raised Dillashaw's hand. I thought that was an injustice. So the fact that Corey Sanhagen is getting this opportunity to fight Piotr, and he might win. <laughs> he did, he did, might win. Did, did TJ turn down the offer? It had That's to go to question. TJ first. You would think, I mean, it right? had to. Technically won. It's going to be a better sell. Yeah. I mean, just from that standpoint, yeah. it would be a better sell. I'm telling you right now, the behind the the between the lines thing is he that might be, he TJ might be wanted no part of of him. I, I think I, I'm not positive. I think he might be injured. That might be why. That that might He's be why. Scared. You heard it here is, first. Yeah. This, this <laughs> maybe, listen, maybe this is for uh, October 30th, UFC 267. So apparently, Sanhagen was ready to go. TJ Dillashaw was not. But I love that fight. Let's bring in uh, the fourth member of our crew tonight. Uh, he is the lead reporter, lead MMA reporter for FiveReasonsSports.com. Three-piece combo himself, Jonathan Romlikon. Jonathan, how you doing, man? Dude, I'm doing good, hey, so, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. How are you all doing today? Um, no worries, dude. Doing great. Doing great. And uh, l l let me get you in on what we were just talking about, um, that Corey Sanhagen is going to get this interim title shot against, uh, against Piotr Jan at UFC 267. 
And even though I usually don't like interim belts, like in this case, Sterling is injured. Like this is actually the time where it kind of makes sense to do an interim title where you actually have an injured champion. You're not just screwing somebody over like they did with Francis Ngannou. Um, and like, I love this for Sanhagen because I, I thought he won that fight against TJ Dillard. I thought he should have gotten his hand raised. So I, I love this opportunity for him and he might even be able to win this fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. First of all, I, I think this is one of the occasions that you should have an interim belt, right? Aljo was not medically cleared to come back yet. You know, he, he's playing the heel role perfectly. He's doing that great. Uh, but I think this is a time when you have an athlete that's out due to injury. This is the uh, appropriate time to use this interim uh, title belt. And I'm right there with you. You know, Sanhagen did not have to take the fight against TJ Dillashaw, but he did. And like you said, I'm right there with you. I agree that he won this fight. And he had kind of a backstage handshake deal with Mick Maynard, um, uh, the matchmakers back there, just, you know, that he was going to get a title shot coming up soon. So I think it's appropriate for him to get it. The matchup is going to be phenomenal, man. As far as the fight goes, I just can't wait to see how it goes down. I'm not even 100% sure what happens. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, something I, I wanted to go back and get your take on, and it's, you know, what, what we kind of built the early part of this episode around was Nick Diaz. Now, I'm the biggest Nick Diaz fanboy on the planet, which also means I probably hold him to a higher standard. You know, Joe Rogan and Dana White have both come out and said he actually did better than they expected. Like, they were really impressed with Diaz. I was not impressed. Like, I think I, I saw more of the rust that I was expecting not to see after six years away. Clearly didn't look like he was in good shape. You know, the midsection, you could see why they had to do that fight at 185 pounds. And yet, like, he had his moments. He landed some punches against a 39-year-old opponent. Uh, he also looked very slow compared to what he used to look like. And and, and honestly, watching that, like, I, I hate to say it. I'm, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to focus more on, on Nate Diaz, who still has some career left. But um, I don't really want to see Nick Diaz fight again. Did, did you feel the same way? Or, or did you actually were, – were you like Dana and Joe where you thought he did better than you expected? Well – as far as his offensive output, I thought his offensive output was great. I felt like he was out there. He was throwing a lot of shots. Uh, but like you said, it's against a 39-year-old. And I'll give it to Robbie Lawler, man. Robbie Lawler's thrown more shots in that fight than I've seen him thrown over the last five or six fights that he's had. So props, major, major props for Robbie Lawler to coming out and taking this in. Uh, but defensively, he just looked kind of like a, a traffic cone. He's just sitting there not doing anything, right? <laughs> offensively don't get me wrong he can still hang at least with some guys definitely not championship level but defensively he's putting himself at too much of a risk to get actually a little bit more hurt it's if he puts himself up against a guy imagine if he goes up a guy against maybe somebody like a jeff neal right or somebody that has just power in his hands and will put you down a lot faster than a 39 year old robbie lawler it would be really dangerous for him so as far as maybe the offensive output i liked what i saw from him but defensively he's not there yet and i don't think he should fight uh, at least anybody really good because he could get hurt. J Jonathan, what's your take on the whole John Jones saga? Where do we go from here with uh, one of the most dynamic talents ever, but also one of the most controversial figures outside the cage? If he can't get it together outside the cage, then there's no way for us to have expectations for him inside the cage. Don't get me wrong. Inside of the cage, he's one of the greatest of all times. You know, he, he's had his stints with, everything i mean <laughs> what hasn't he had go, go down the line before? right he's, he's yeah. probably he's probably filled up a bingo card worth of different type of things that can he's go lived a very life. full life that johnny yeah, jones exactly so i mean it sucks it definitely sucks because now do we ever see john jones versus france in which could have been the biggest heavyweight fight of all time don't know if that happens 
Dana White probably doesn't care. Dana White probably is still going to book the fight when he comes back. I mean, John Jones is a moneymaker. Dana White feels that John Jones is the GOAT. He personally calls John Jones the GOAT. So um, I, I don't think as far as a business standpoint, we'll see a, a crazy amount of thing happen to John Jones. It'll be a lot of public outcry at first, but it'll settle down. It's, it's normal John Jones business at this point. Yeah, I was arguing that uh, that uh, John Jones is uh, almost more marketable, you know, in last week's show as this kind of stuff piles on. But then you read that report and it's so disturbing. So I wonder, yeah. you know, I, I take a pause, but then I come back to the idea that, you know, it's it, it's going to get it, it, you know, it's going to get fast tracked into some, you know, community service thing. And you're right. He's going to be right there available. So. You know, I, I just think him versus Surreal Gone or Francis Ngannou becomes maybe the biggest pay-per-view sell in the history of the UFC. I really think that happens. And it's a shame because of the Floyd Mayweather effect. You don't want to celebrate or reward that behavior. So everyone will be tuning in and paying, hoping he loses. But guess what, folks? I don't think he does. No. Because I think he's the GOAT, too. So I think uh, I think I think the world could be in for it's like the movie The Empire Strikes Back, Jonathan. Right. I mean, it's like it's gonna end on that note. <laughs> no matter what happens, it's gonna there's something bad that's gonna happen at the end of it, regardless. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I think it's it's a shame, especially reading the report. I mean, when you read a report like that, you kind of get Deshaun Watson vibes, right? You kind of get mm -hmm. vibes of just that feeling in your stomach that man, this guy just isn't a good dude and. You know, he came out two days later, like, I'm going to put alcohol behind me and all this bullshit that we've seen before. I mean, sorry, excuse yeah. my language, but um, we've, we've, we've heard worse. it all before, right? right? John Jones has, has tried to find God before and, you know, do, do all these things. It's, it's it's normal John Jones excuse, man. It's We know who John Jones is. It's not right what he does. But at the end of the day, he's probably going to be fighting again soon. I mean, he said he wanted to wait till 2022. So maybe he did this so he can actually wait till 2022. And he has an excuse now. Who knows? I mean, jo Jonathan, can I go? Can I back up to Nick Diaz for a second? Because I just wanted to ask you. I have a theory that he was hurt. I have a theory that he got hurt about a month out and he needs the money, and that's why he showed up out of shape and needed a heavier weight class. Have you thought about that at all? I can't figure out what was injured, though. So my watching the fight a couple of times now, I'm guessing maybe a back injury. But I just can't picture – I can picture a Nick Diaz losing, but I, obviously. But I, I can't picture a Nick Diaz fat <laughs> and quitting on a strike, you know? That's, that's really what kind of confused me too, right? He didn't have – when you said back, that's kind of what I thought as well, because he didn't have that side to side movement you can typically right. put on a back that's healthy. He stayed in place. He would back up and, you know, he would get some nice body shots. He would get his head off center line sometimes, but he wasn't some like you said, something just didn't feel right. It could be that Nick or Nate Diaz or sorry, Nick Diaz is just isn't just Nick Diaz anymore. And that rust is just the new fighter that he is. But like you said, it just felt like something was wrong. He said during the pre-fight press conference, he doesn't even know why he's there. The fight gets set up. There was so many question marks going into this fight. You just kind of wonder why it came together the way it did when he was speaking about the fight the way it did. So, I mean, there's definitely some legitimacy to that theory. I'm really curious to know if that's something that's happened before. Um, but also, it could be just the new version of Nick Diaz. We haven't seen him in a minute. Maybe this is what just what he is. Before uh, before we wrap up this episode, let's get in our kudos and complaints. I'll start first with the kudos. I got to tell you, kudos to Dan Hooker. 
because he has stepped up and agreed to fight a Dagestani. And one of the best ones, Islam Mahachev, is going to be fighting Dan Hooker. And listen, anytime you know, Mahachev, who's on his, his ascent, very similar to the ascent that Habib Nurmagomedov was on years ago before he became champion, and, you know, and Kamara Usman, similar thing. When you've got a guy who doesn't hold a title and is just that dangerous and, you know, hasn't really built a big name for himself yet, it's just a really bad fight to take. Like, so you're going to have people ducking it any which way possible. Dan Hooker is a tough SOB. And, you know, and also kudos to him as well for just getting to that fight last week and winning exactly. because, you know, he, he had a hell of a time getting out of New Zealand and got there like less than 48 hours away from the fight and still looked great, won a decision. So I guess and it's made like a weight. double. And made weight. And made weight, yeah. So this is like a double kudos to Dan Hooker. Excellent job last week and then an even better job stepping up and fighting a guy I would imagine most people in the lightweight division want to avoid. So that fight is going to take place at UFC 267 October 30th at the Etihad Arena on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. So I, I am looking forward to that. Uh, kudos to Dan Hooker. Uh, we'll go uh, We'll go Frank next, then we'll go James and then Jonathan. It's going to be weird to say this to a guy who lost by unanimous decision, but I'm giving a kudos to Brian Ortega, who looked a hell of a lot better than I expected and is absolutely in the class of the top two guys in that division. So I have to eat my words on that. So kudos to, to Ortega. Kudos for me goes to Stylebender. Uh, he put up a great YouTube video filming him live while he was watching his gym mate, uh, Volkanovsky, go through those tight submissions. And it was almost like he felt like he was in the cage. And for Stylebender, arguably one of the pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world, it just kind of shows what kind of great teammate he is, supportive, felt everything that Volkanovsky was feeling in the cage. You know, as he was going through it, you can tell he was a genuine person that – that really, you know, cares for his gym mates and wants, you know, wants to have as many titles uh, in kick, uh, city kickboxing as possible. Yeah, that was the moment that uh, brought me, made me very happy. Adesanya is my favorite fighter. So, so to see him get as giddy as I did watching that fight made me feel just at his home. Uh, I want to give kudos to, to the PFL because they announced yesterday that they're going to be doing an MMA combine, which is nice. going to be similar to the NFL combine. And I'm, I'm just really curious to see how that goes. They're doing things a little bit differently, and uh, that just caught my eye. So, uh, so kudos to the PFL for for doing something different. Yeah. You know, guys, honestly, I I have a, a hard time coming up with a complaint. Uh, I, I I guess maybe my my complaint would be, uh, hey, I wish the Miami Dolphins looked better last week. No, I'm going to direct my complaint to Johnny Bones Jones. It's like, dude, ten straight years, you keep getting into trouble, and yeah, it's easy, like Jonathan said, easy to say now. You're giving up the sauce, you know, just a few days after you were arrested in an alcohol related incident. Like, come on, dude, show it to me. You're too important. I want to see Jones versus Nganu. You're arguably the greatest fighter ever to step into a cage or an octagon. We need to see you back. Stop throwing your life away, man. That's my complaint. What about you, Frankie? My complaint is to Dana White and or the Athletic Commission, whoever has to okay Nick Diaz's changing weight class seemingly minutes before a fight in the UFC, which is the Premier League, because he was hurt, and I think they enabled him to go in there and put himself in harm's way, and this sport should have matured further along than that so uh my that's where my complaint goes yeah my, my complaint is sort of in that realm a little bit with with the ufc and i alluded to this earlier um i i think they need to strictly enforce their code of conduct however far they can they, they can pass that line because when a, a fighter like john jones gets in trouble you know and there's no repercussions after the first incident the second incident the third incident the seventh incident 
you know, there's really no reason for him to change. I had said that earlier in the show. There are clear lines in the NFL, in the NBA, in MLB. You know, when players get into off the field trouble, you kind of know what punishment is coming. In the UFC, is pretty much wide open. There's either no punishment at all, or you know, or whatever. There's really no no line to be drawn. So if they do have a conduct policy, they need to enforce it and at least have you know some kind of line drawn uh, to what they can do. Um, I'm gonna give my complaints to uh, to Lauren Murphy. You know, I mean, you're 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 going against the greatest uh, flyweight of all time in you know in Valentina Shevchenko, but you can't go out there in four rounds and only land 11 strikes. You have to do a little bit better than that. I mean, she was there, standing there, doing absolutely nothing. Waiting to cash a check, Jonathan. Yeah, (laughs) you were just there. You were just getting that participation award. So, come Mm -hmm. on, Murphy. You got to do better. I want to give a shout-out to Michael in the comments. Uh, Definitely kudos to Volkanovsky for getting out of those two tight, tight, tight submissions. Oh, my God. That that mounted guillotine had me screaming. He was done. I thought he was done. Screaming, and I was shaking. I remember shaking. And then when he got into that triangle – Another moment where I was just, I was like, this guy's done. This guy's done. And kudos to, to Volkanovsky, man. He's proving a lot of people wrong. I mean, I was one of the guys I thought Holloway won the fight, but you can't doubt or, or discredit this guy and his championship mentality and his championship heart because he fought through the biggest uh, amount of adversity that he, he could possibly face. Yeah, and Michael's totally right. And it's funny, like, one of us gave kudos to his opponent. Kudos to his teammate. Someone <laughs> kudos to the champ, please. Yeah, and, and we did. Uh, if you want to go back, Michael, uh, and and watch the the early part of the show once the replay is up, uh, we we gave our recap of that fight. I thought it was unbelievable. <laughs> that's, a, that's a brilliant text. I love it. It's true. It's so true. It, it was it was a what brilliant kind of fight. Show are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 Volkanovski, the rightful winner. He was in control of that fight. Landed some amazing strikes. I mean, nearly killed Ortega with some of that ground and pound. Like it was hellish. Like for for as much as I thought. Volkanovski was done in the triangle and in the guillotine. I thought Ortega was done at the end of the third round when, you know, he was saved by the horn. Right. But, like, you know, the, the camera was right over his head, and he was, like, unconscious. Like, oh, my God, he's done. DC and Felder thought he was done, and he kept fighting. It actually had some moments, landed some big punches. Like, it was incredible. It was incredible. So, yeah, I think they, they both deserve kudos. Like, you were right to give kudos to Ortega, Frank. Uh, and I think we, we can also give kudos to Volkanovsky. So that was incredible. Uh, on, on the way out, I want to allow you guys to uh, to promote anything you want to promote. Uh, Jonathan, I, I know you're you're very busy throughout the channel. When's the next time people can see you, hear you, read you? Well, uh, I'll be dropping an article tomorrow about the five takeaways from the PFL uh, from the PFL press conference. Of course, that the finals are going to be up in a month. Uh, but Saturday, one of my favorite fighters, Kevin Holland, he's going to be fighting. So I'll be doing a, a post show for that show uh, as well live. Of course, main event, Johnny Walker versus Tiago Santos. That's going to be a fun one as well. And then, you, like I said, we got Kevin Holland versus uh, Dawkins in the co-main event. So it should be a good one. I'll get you covered in the post uh, in the post fight show. What about you, James? Yeah, you can always check out the athleticmentor.com. Uh, That's for high school prep athletes who are looking for mentorship and, and help and guidance in terms of college scholarships. Um, and, and also just check me out on Twitter at James Walker NFL. Nice. Frank, uh, you want to promote that Twitter account of yours? You're trying to steer people no. away from Get over to the quarterback to watch the Canes. They're done with the SEC. They're done with the Big Ten. Right. They begin the ACC march to a title tonight. Get over it. there and have some drinks with me and watch it. 
Get on over to the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Huge thanks to everybody who tuned in, especially those who participated in the live chat. We love the interactions. We love all of you. For Jonathan, for James, and for Frank, I'm Dono. You see where to follow me on Twitter, at Alex Dono. And I'll, I'll be back on streaming live tomorrow at noon for the final Dono Daily of the Week on 5 Reasons Sports YouTube. We'll talk to you guys then right here on the 5 Reasons Sports Network.